This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Quick correction here. I mention um, the movie Away We Go in this episode, and I say that it starred Rose Byrne. It did not star Rose Byrne. It was Maya Rudolph. So apologies for that uh, little error there. Thanks, and enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. And welcome to this live broadcast of It's a Fandom Thing. I decided since it was just Carla and me, and Carla is always up for the live streams, I'm like, why don't we just do two live streams today? So we're going to be talking about Bridesmaids, which turns 10 years old, which doesn't make me feel quite as old as the other movies we're going to be talking about soon, like Thelma and Louise and Stand By Me. Those ones make me feel really old, but this one, 10, that's not that bad. Next week, we are going to be kicking off Pride Month, and we are going to be talking about the movie Moonlight. So it's a much heavier movie than the movies we're talking about this weekend. And Carla is going to be here for that one as well. Okay, so Carla, what are you into right now in pop culture? I am very into zombie tigers. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) I am very, very into zombie tigers. That is. I'm sure that I have other things that I could probably talk about, but no, because my mind only wants to go to zombie tigers, which I think (laughs) is maybe the best thing I've seen on my screen in, I don't know, like possibly a year. No, no, because that would, that would bleed into Eurovision time. And no, we can't have that. (laughs) That would bleed into Eurovision time. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just second that because zombie tigers are the best thing that ever happened. And I think every movie needs a zombie tiger in it. <laughs> Agreed. Even if it has nothing, even if it's a romantic <laughs> comedy, just throw in a zombie tiger. <laughs> a Victorian drama. And then a zombie tiger. And the zombie tiger just in the background, just, you know. Yeah, lurking. or a zombie horse. Yes. Any of those things are fair game, I think. Yes, and I want a spinoff, Zack Snyder, who I'm sure listens to this. I want a spinoff just of the zombie tiger or just a bunch of zombie animals. That's what I want. It's just maybe maybe David Attenborough can narrate it. (laughs) I want a documentary style film about zombie fauna. I hey, as if anybody's listening out there who could make this happen, make this happen. Yes, please this, make our wish come true. All yeah. we want for Christmas is a documentary movie about zombie fauna. 
narrated by David Attenborough. A movie about zombie fauna. It would be so awesome because seriously, that was my favorite part of the whole movie. But that was my favorite part of Army of the Dead was the zombie tiger. And I knew it would be because that was what I was most hyped for. And, you know, plus everybody knows I love the animals in movies when they're evil. I root for them. So... (laughs) Go Jaws, go Jaws. Yeah, I root for Jaws. Hey, Jaws. I know. <laughs> it's not Jaws' fault that all those people were in the water. No, yeah, that was that, his territory. True. His that territory. I root for Anaconda and Anaconda, especially since they <laughs> obviously didn't research snakes before they made that. So clearly, yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, we'll get into bridesmaids here, which again turns ten. Which, even though it doesn't make me feel old, it still feels weird to me that this movie is ten years old. <laughs> feels like it's yeah. just a year old so okay so Carla what are some of like maybe even your favorite lines or just anything you want to throw out just in general about it and then we'll dive deeper into it I mean my favorite line is the classic it's happening as <laughs> as poor Lillian runs out into the middle of the street with her giant <laughs> bridal gown and squats because she and the way that she kind of like duck walks at the very end before she just flat out squats <laughs> She's like, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Like, I stopped. I just couldn't stop laughing because it's like one of the most perfect scenes in a, in a movie like that where it has like gross out comedy and everything. And a lot of, of Melissa McCarthy just, you know, especially when she's flirting with the with the air marshal. The, is that what they're called? Air... Yeah, he's like the he's yeah the air yes he's the air marshal because that's what she calls him is the air, air marshal and yeah 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 okay flirting with him yeah yeah so she's like that whole flirtation thing and and, and she's like you know I, I got your back I got your, he's like why I'm not the air marshal and then I'm the air marshal and you know like everybody yeah. get down <laughs> I love that and just the the scene where they're dancing to Wilson Phillips hold on. And Maya Rudolph is uh, doing like the the air drumming and they're like, you know, dancing at each other. It's precious. It's adorable. I love it so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll definitely talk about that scene because I think that's one of the best, best scenes in the whole movie is the end scene that and probably because I'm such a, a music geek and that just really spoke to me. I do love I love the whole. Uh, the whole airplane scene, especially with Annie and the when she ends up taking that mood relaxer that Helen gives her and just everything about that. And when she's sitting there and, and Helen's like, oh, please let her just sit here. You know, that fake, right. that fake pit that Helen does throughout the whole movie. And she's just like, no, she can, can't she sit there? And then her just, just the way Kristen Wiig says, help me, I'm poor. It's just so <laughs> perfect because... I think everybody out there listening, I think, you know, if you've ever felt less than other people, you have been in that position where people Mm -hmm. do things and they think they're helping you. And really what they're doing is taking pity on you and they're looking down on you and it makes you feel even worse. And so just the way she delivered that was so perfect because (laughs) it's exactly like, oh, yes, please just help Help me. I'm poor. poor. (laughs) It is perfect. It is. And hi, Bailey. Hi, Bailey. We love you, Bailey. You are one of the best. Seriously. Always here to support us. Okay. And I just wanted to know, though, before we dive any deeper, 
that I came in full Saturday theme, Saturday suburban mom theme with my hair in a bandana because I've been like cleaning and a, a bunch of, of half folded laundry sitting here next to me. I'm, I'm here to keep it real. That's awesome. It's the Saturday theme. Saturday morning theme. Awesome. Well, we got off on a little sidetrack, but see, everybody, you get to see now how it is when it's just Carla and me. This is how it goes. We talk about the subject for like two minutes and then it's like, oh, let's talk about something else for like 20. (laughs) On the other hand, you do get amazing gems like that bonus Christian Bale episode. Yes, yes. Which would not happen unless we had these weird tangents. Yes, that's very true. And Christian Bale wouldn't have become our podcast mascot if it wasn't for our tangents. Okay, so we'll go back to the subject. <laughs> yes, so this will probably be a tangent-filled episode, as you can tell already, because it's just calling. <laughs> so this is how it goes with us. So yeah, so that's my favorite scene, definitely the airplane scene. So let's go ahead and talk about, because this, a lot of what Bridesmaids is about is about female friendship, of course. Because, I mean, you really don't even get to know, because, yes, it's about Lillian's getting married, and that's kind of what kicks off the story and kicks off all the insecurities in Annie. And, of course, it's about that. And, of course, there's a love story for Annie, which we'll get into that as well. But, really, this film is all about female friendship. And what do you think the film is saying overall about women and how women get along together and all the different, different facets of our friendships? I think it says a lot about a lot of things about women. It, it says one, one of my favorite things about this movie is that it came out at a time when we're getting just a slew of bro films where mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it's kind of the adult versions of the coming of age um, boys and frat houses kind of genre. So we're getting, you know, like um, wedding crashers and, and other things like that where guys just get to be ridiculous and goofy and do awful things and with you know the only consequence is that they may have a a rift in their friendships and that's something that I think is wonderful about bridesmaids is that we get to have the gross out humor and these women doing absolutely ridiculous things to each other and to other people and I mentioned that in particular because Annie is not very much of a grown-up. She's not, she starts out the way that a lot of these bro film dudes mm-hmm. do, where she's had a lot of ch- recent changes in her life. And she comes into this film, you know, she's like depressed and using sex as a kind of, you know, scratching post to ease her her feelings of inadequacy, which only been compounded by her awful sex buddy. Um, But she's, (laughs) yeah, but she's working a job that's not great and that she's not great at. She's about to get kicked out of her apartment. So she has like all of these components that are not usually, or at least at that point, weren't usually what we saw in uh, film portrayals of, of women, particularly the protagonist. It might be like the screwed up best friend that who is on on the on the side that the protagonist who has her life put together helps out. Mm-hmm. But so when it comes to to what it says about women, it's that women also go through stuff and they also deal with it poorly. 
and that it can be funny and that there's no reason to turn this into like some tragic dramatic movie where there's like you know a violin score and some weepy breakdown and no and then as far as what it says about friendship that friendship also has its highs and lows and it has its, mm-hmm. its rough patches and any of the rough patches that Annie encountered in her friendship with Lillian were of her own making because I I really think that Lillian had a lot of patience for Annie in this movie and I think she was absolutely in the right to say you know what you can't be my maid of honor anymore because here's a mirror look at yourself um <laughs> And it, it, when it comes to weddings, I think that that's one of those times where, yeah, you can be a little selfish and yeah, you can decide, okay, well, you know what? Yes, I'm very close to you, but this is about me and my um, my spouse-to-be. And if you're going mm-hmm. to make me feel awful on that very special day, then maybe you don't get to be in the front of the line. And in this, in this way, like I can kind of relate because... Uh, in the lead up to my wedding, when I was telling people, you're a bridesmaid, you're a bridesmaid, everybody's a bridesmaid. There's, there's <laughs> one person who who didn't get that finger gun. And that's because we had been best friends like through high school and a little bit through college, but we had a major falling out. We hadn't spoken for a long time. And I just didn't, I, I knew her to be a very selfish person. And I knew that she would make it all about herself. So I decided, no, not interested. Mm-hmm. Like. I thought maybe she can do a reading during the, the ceremony. But other than that, I don't want her spoiling the special time for me and my family. And so so it was like a, a similar, I, I could relate to Lillian in that sense. It's like, it doesn't matter what your history is. It's where you are right now when it comes to certain moments. And Annie was in a place where she could only be selfish. And it's not because she was a bad person. She mm-hmm. wasn't, and a lot of, and in a, um, a lot of the times, it was because of the sabotage by Helen, but she didn't have to play into it so hard, and that's where she bears the responsibility. It, it's not her fault that that Helen stole the mic at the um, engagement <laughs> that party. Scene. Oh my god! It, yeah, that like scene. the, the cousin one. Of it. <laughs> that scene and was so hard to watch. Like second mic. <laughs> It is hard to watch, but it's also like hilarious. It is, but but Annie didn't have to play into it. She felt insecure about her relationship with Lillian, and she let that lead instead mm-hmm. of making it about Lillian because it's a party for Lillian and her fiance. <laughs> it's not a party for you and your feelings, Annie. And then it, it, it you know beyond that because they they do patch things up and it it's a wonderful little journey in there friendship and in, um, it reestablishes towards the end how if you if in the end you come through for one another you can have a lasting friendship it doesn't have to end just because people grow and change a lot mm-hmm. of the times it does and you know what that's fine it's fine mm-hmm. to acknowledge look this journey has come to an end for us let's cherish our memories and then move on as the people we've become but it doesn't have to be that way and it doesn't it's not always how that works out but you can also gain new friendships in your life and uh, realizing that these people that, you know, maybe you may not have been 
close to at another point in your life, you can come to appreciate them. And, and you really, if you open your heart, you can develop friendships in adulthood. Because I think that's one big complaint that a lot of people have, that it's really hard to make friends in adulthood, because it is. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of that is often because we become kind of cemented in this idea of of what we want in a friend. And we model that off of what we've had in the past, not where we are in the present. And then bringing it back to the the theme of, of women, accepting who you are, where you are now, is very important. Um, because I think a lot of the times we're, we're caught in this trap of, and it can't walk out of... of um, <laughs> You've been watching a movie set in Vegas. so we we get in this this trap where we look at who we were in the past and we look at who we thought we wanted to be in the future Mm -hmm. and what those aspirations might be and we don't necessarily accept ourselves for where we are right now we may not be perfect and we may not be what we thought we would be 5 10 15 years ago but what you are is what you are. And if you don't accept that, then you can't have that, um, those realizations about what's important in an actual friend versus the idealized version of what a friend should be. So I, I think this very goofy, silly movie full of like poop jokes and all of this other stuff makes a lot of pretty important points about modern women and those important relationships that we um, that we create in our lives, and I, I'm mm-hmm. not I, I'm I'm uh, pointedly leaving out the the love interests because that's not really what I think the movie is about. Like no. they happen to be there, and there's some cute interactions and some funny interactions, and that's great. But it really is mostly about Annie coming to terms with where she is in her life, mm-hmm. with where she thought she would be versus where she is and where Lillian fits into this and her own insecurities about loss and failure and then fearing further loss and failure and trying to stem it at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. And you know, I, and I don't know, what this is going to make people think about me, but I, I, the character of Lillian, I related to on a lot of levels, especially when I first saw this movie and I, this movie made me cry. It still makes me cry. I I think, especially in the end, I really just, it's hard not to cry at that final scene because I know what it's like, not necessarily maybe the, the envy or the jealousy, but feeling like everybody in your life and everybody around you has it together and they have a plan and they have success and they have a partner and they have this and they have that and they have more money than you, or they have more this than you, or they seem to be more together than you. And you're the same age as them, but they seem to be a lot older than you. And I've struggled with that a lot later in my life. It wasn't so much, well, it it was through throughout my life, I think on and off. And so I really related to her in the, in that respect. And, you know, the fact that she's looking for acceptance and love. I mean, her whole relationship with the John Hamm character is such a reflection of that fact, 
that she will just settle for anything. And the whole beginning scene, the whole opening scene, the whole opening sex scene is just so much about her not getting what she needs and him getting what he needs. But she goes along with it because, well, at least this is affection and at least I have this. And at least I can say I'm not alone, even though she is still alone. But that's why that whole opening is so great. And when she goes and puts her makeup on before he wakes up and then she pretends she's still asleep. And it's just, it's just like, yes, I, I, I wake up this beautiful every morning and I have this makeup on because she can't break that facade and she wants him to be able to see that. Yeah, it's just it was a very, very emotional experience watching this movie, which I know sounds weird because it's such a raunchy at times comedy, but I think that's why it's such a great movie. That's why I love this movie so much because it's so real and honest, even with the scenes. I honestly, to be quite frank, I'm not as big of a fan of the, um, the um, food poisoning scene as everybody else's because I'm not a fan of vomit in movies. <laughs> I hate that. And I, I, I even hate it in horror movies. I'm just not a fan of Look, vomit. I'm not a fan of, of body <laughs> grossness, but it was just so funny. I know. Mostly because, um, because the thing is, that I, I think you don't really come to expect that or at least you true. didn't at that mm-hmm. point in time from women of, of yeah of of movies about and for women Mm -hmm. and yet here it is and um it's as gross as those boy movies Mm -hmm. and they just go full out they go full out in every last bit of that and that to me you know like i I, i'm not a fan of of seeing people spew but i am a fan of of accepting that women do sometimes have stuff coming out of them that happen. yeah that it, it does, does happen. happen and that it's funny too when women do it it's, it's the whole concept that that women aren't or can't be funny that women can't do physical comedy mm-hmm. it is beyond ridiculous well and i think the other thing that's the other thing is that you would see you know it would have to be the fat woman or the unattractive the quote-unquote unattractive or the quote-unquote fat woman that would get those scenes before this. And so here you have these really beautiful, attractive women. I mean, you know, getting these scenes that you, I mean, Helen, of course, doesn't because Helen didn't eat the food, but it was mainly her way of showing up Annie. But I, but yeah, I I think that's what's nice about, even though I don't didn't like watching it. That's what's nice about it is you have the attractive women having that you have Maya Rudolph, taking a crap in the street, which you wouldn't normally see that character, especially since she's the bride and she's like really beautiful. And they all are, I mean, I think they're all really beautiful, but usually that stuff would have been just reserved just, just for um, the McCarthy character. That's it. It would have been just her that would have done that. And that's why it's nice that you get it from others. Yeah. And they go out of her way to make her quote unquote unattractive because they they put her in like the clothing that, that she wears in the film, mm-hmm. her hair is just kind of greasy and, and in a bun. She's not wearing makeup. And this is all to uglify her. And she gets to be uglified because she is the one who maybe wouldn't fit in a sample size. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like not to jump around or anything, although honestly, that's our jam. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the the one really well one of the really awful things in this movie is this fat phobia and this 
um, need to make the fat girl, the ugly girl, and the annoying one mm-hmm. because she 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 gets all of the most annoying lines and parts in this movie. Um, and Melissa McCarthy is hilarious. She's really a comedic mm-hmm. force. If you've watched any of her of her stuff, but I'm thinking specifically right now of her appearance of uh, on uh, Saturday Night Saturday Night Live, where they have um, like this dream boarding group, and they're all like doing the, their their dream boards, and and hers is just hilarious because she talks about like revenge, and it's like you know, and oh, mm-hmm. and I also have yogurt. Um, <laughs> but she she does comedy really well, and yet the captain's insisting that okay, yes, you're funny, but you're also fat, so that's where the the funny comes from, right? Okay, cool. So let's also add in all of this other stuff, and it's just really awful. Yeah, no, no, I yeah, I I I I agree, and um, yeah, Bailey. I just want to a couple of things that Bailey is. I haven't watched. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, because she said that might have been, I wonder if that's a shout out to the morning after scene. Have you seen Marvelous? Okay, so I can't comment on that, but maybe it is. If you ever get to watch this movie, which unfortunately it's, all, it's only on Peacock right now. Um, it was on HBO Max, but it's not there anymore. But I do recommend watching this. I think it is one of the best out there. Yeah, Melissa McCarthy. I didn't watch Gilmore Girls, but I she's really pretty in a lot of things. She's in this movie this again goes to my theory that I think comedians are some of the best actors around because they do drama so well too. And yes. she was in this movie with uh, Ryan Reynolds called, Oh my gosh, I think it's called nine lives. I'll have to look it up. And she's so good. It's not a comedic character at all that she plays in there. And she's really good in that one. And also in, how am I forgetting the name of that movie? I'll look it up while we're doing this, but the one where that she was, nominated for and frankly i think she should have won for um i can't remember the, the about the year. author who embellished and stole all this you know stole all the rights from the other books i'll look it up and then i'll say it sorry it's very very good movie i think i think she's just absolutely excellent in it but yeah that is very true i you know they do do that in here i think in the end when she's the bridesmaid when she's one of the bridesmaids and you see her dressed she looks really beautiful and i you know this is really the movie that I think I know she was in Gilmore girls, of course, and other things before, but this is really the movie I think that catapulted her to fame was in this, of course. And of course she was like nominated for this movie and it was this big thing. Um, But yeah, it can get a little grating to be like, okay, we're just going to give you like maybe the grossest parts, even though we'll give other, we'll give that to the others as well, but we're going to give it more to you because you're the, quote unquote, ugly friend and the quote unquote fat friend. But I will say, even though they did that, one thing that I did appreciate was the fact that she was never, she was never bogged down in that. Her character was never like overwhelmed with that. She still had confidence in herself and her sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, And she still was like, I'm going to still make a pass at this guy. I'm going to still say, hey, let's join the Mile High Club to this complete stranger. (laughs) Who, of course, if everybody doesn't know, that's Melissa McCarthy's real life husband. If you didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah, that's her real life Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, and they like write stuff together. They do all sorts of stuff together. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, of course, I mean, you know, that's that's pretty cool because – 
usually it would just be she would get those jokes and she wouldn't get that confidence and she'd be shown as like not having confidence around men. So it is nice that they did see that. And I think she has such a great scene with Annie's character when she goes over there and she says, hey, you have other friends. Lillian isn't your only friend. I'm here. I'm here. And you need to stop this and you need to, you know, get out of this and you need to, you know, come on you know, come out to the world again. And and then of course she says, take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she has some great scenes with her too. But yeah, the friendship aspect, this movie is definitely not just a love story because I don't, I think we get maybe two minutes screen time with Lillian's fiance. Yeah. And even though the love story with Annie and I, and we will get to that because I actually love that love story. Even though that is a, a, part of this it's such so secondary which is so nice because even though there is love stories this the film doesn't revolve around that it's really about the need to have friendship and the need to have those friends and you see it really with the Helen character I think even more so because Helen uses the fact that she has money and she has power to get friends to have people close to her because she's like I know I can buy this And she even says at one point, you know, that she's pretty lonely. She's just a very lonely woman who just wants to be appreciated. And she just has realized that, okay, the only, the easiest way for me to get that is to buy it. I can buy it. So it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty sad. And yeah, for a female centered film to have the love story be a secondary, it is very powerful, Bailey. That's why I love this movie so much. I just absolutely adore this movie, even though there are some flaws in it. Of course, there always are. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Rebel Wilson character and her brother and stuff. That storyline's kind of a little, yeah. Uh, I, I think and, it and could be cut example, out. <laughs> and that's another example of of uh, of a woman having her body used because it's mm-hmm. a larger body for the comedy of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole scene where she gets the tattoo and it's really gross and right. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is very yeah. Rebel Wilson would be an interesting character to do some stuff onto, and Melissa McCarthy. Um, but yeah, and and I just want to say I think Rose Byrne. We're gonna get into the performances too, but I think she is such a great actress, and yeah. she does comedy so well. She does comedy in a very different way where it's like uh, she's not relying on pratfall. She's not relying on the physicalness, even though she does some physical stuff, but she just does everything so subtle. Like I think she's really good in neighbors. I think she's really good in that movie. Um, she was yeah. in, in a movie with um, Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. That, um, Hayek. Uh, yeah. Boss, I watched Girl boss. I boss was, something. I just watched that yeah. not too long ago. I, I, I watched it. I watched it a couple of times because I actually thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was. I, I just let you cringe. Obviously, you think otherwise. I love both of them. I thought they were great together. I thought they had great chemistry. I thought they had really great yes. friendship chemistry there. And I thought some of the scenes were really funny. Yeah, but. <laughs> but other than that, I hated it. <laughs> uh, like a boss like a boss that's the one <laughs> i really like that movie i'm sorry that that aaron doesn't but anybody out there who wants to be team like a boss with me like 
send me a, a tweet to say I support like a boss. <laughs> yeah, and and um, Bailey also threw out because she hasn't watched the movie. So thank you for joining us, Bailey. Yes, seen this movie. Um, that the line from Annie where she says um, to um, Bryn, who is the Rebel Wilson character, and says, you read my diary? And then <laughs> Bryn's like, at first I did not know it was your diary. I thought it was a very sad <laughs> handwritten book, <laughs> which is a great line. Okay, so let's go into the performances here. I mainly want to focus on, we can talk about Chris O'Dowd too, if, if you want to, but I want to talk mainly about the women in this film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what did you? It. Who's your favorite performance? Oh my gosh, it's so hard to pick <laughs> just one because because everybody was so amazing. As far as my favorite performances, I love Wendy McLendon Covey in almost anything she does. She was on Reno Nine One One. She has like little roles here and there, and every time that, that I see her, I'm just like super happy because <laughs> she's hilarious. She's so funny, and she has this. She's th- this beautiful like some blonde woman and she has this super cool deep voice and you would think that she would do like only like you know bombshell mm-hmm. roles and it's usually something where she's be- doing something outlandish and um that well just suffice it to say that i'm glad that she wasn't pigeonholed because of her looks because I, I, I think that, that that's one thing where Hollywood would have probably wanted her to to go. But she's so funny. She the, her the, the way she reads lines is fantastic. She has great timing. Mm-hmm. Her uh her inflection is just great. I love when she and why am I blanking on her name? She was Aaron on the office and she was Unbreakable yeah, Kimmy. Ellie Kemper. Ellie Kemper. Ellie Kemper. Oh yes, yes, thank you. So when she and Ellie Kemper are on the plane together, and you know yes. they're talking about marriage and what marriage is like, and and you know as the the more experienced um, wife type, she's like, oh, it, it sucks, you know, <laughs> like run now, <laughs> you still can run away, you know. And Ellie Kemper's character is just very naive and very sweet, and she's a newlywed, and she's obnoxious about it because she's a newlywed, and that's what they do. And then they end up making out. And I it's love just that like, part. <laughs> it's wonderful. I, I love the two of them together because they're both very, very funny actresses. They're so good. And mm-hmm. they, they both they, they both also have a, a I think a really good capacity for, for dramatic acting. That is maybe, you know, not something that's really the first thing you think when you see either of them. But I, I love that particular interaction. I love what they each bring to the role and how well they work as, as part of the support of the main mm-hmm. piece of the film, which is the interaction between Helen, Annie, and Lillian. I mean, like, if we want to talk about Maya Rudolph, I can talk about her for 50,000 years. Love her. And yeah. she's married to my favorite. She's sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but she's married no. to Paul Thomas Anderson, who is my idol screenwriting and directing idol. So that's another reason that so I love choices, her. And another saying. reason I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, Cause he <laughs> makes good choices too. 
Right. So, yeah, and he's still supposed to be writing a script. He said he was going to write a script for Maya Rudolph and Tiffany Haddish for them to be together in, and because everybody says you've got to write this script for your wife and for right. Tiffany Haddish. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just so everybody sees, like live and in person, that it's not just me who initiates tangents. It's not exactly. always me, it's everybody. Not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's only mostly me. <laughs> Only like 75% of the time. <laughs> but but Maya Rudolph, I mean, she, she can do like anything. She can do absolutely anything. There's nothing that I've seen her in that I'm like, oh, you know, it would have been better if somebody mm-hmm. else was casting it. No, because she's Maya Rudolph and she's fantastic. Um, but what she really brings to Lillian, Lillian is like probably the most grounded character in the entire movie. She's mm-hmm. She is the the foil to everybody else's outlandishness. And even in that, she's still really funny. I, I love the scene towards the beginning where Annie and Lillian are in the little cafe and Annie, like, on purpose puts like a bit of chocolate on her teeth and she's like, oh, go ahead, teeth. And, you know, Lillian's also like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it, because that, that's exactly, like, a great best friend scene where mm-hmm. you're being silly together and doing something just, like, why would you do that? Because you're best friends and you're having fun at a... At, at a breakfast like this is something that that when i i see it i think of of my friends and that's exactly how we interact you know we just mm-hmm. take a goofy moment then we run it into a bit and then it becomes like this whole thing and it's it's just so much fun um but she's also i think she's very supportive of of annie sorry i'm getting into the character now we're talking about the, the actress sorry it's, it's okay <laughs> That's how my brain works. It's like it's okay. It's, it's natural to do that when you're talking about the performance because right. you're talking about their performance, so you're going to talk about right. the design. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> but I, I think that that um, because it's Maya Rudolph, she can. She's one of those rare people who can really take something either way. Where she could have made it more outlandish, mm-hmm. or she could have made it more. Not mundane, but more like salt of the earth kind of thing. Um, and the the direction in which this went, where she's the foil and she's the more grounded one, was perfect for the movie. I think if you had had something bigger or flashier in this role, or if she had done that, it wouldn't have worked as well for the film. Mm-hmm. Because there's only so much of that that we need or want in this film and Kristen Wiig she's got that covered you know she's um she's a very versatile actress she she really can do a lot I think my Rudolph can do more which is not to say that Kristen Wiig is not phenomenal it's just I really really love my Rudolph um <laughs> and Rose Byrne she has the look of an actress that you only expect to do drama and that you only expect to be mm-hmm. one thing or or whatever. But this was a, a really definitely played character because you really don't like her and you don't want to like her. Although you want to envy her because she has, I mean, this girl can, can throw a party where you have to have like, you know, uh, you have to drive in on this giant road <laughs> and there's like a mansion and, and she like, a horse. Paris. Yes, there's a horse. <laughs> Her her goodie gifts are puppies, which, by the way, don't use puppies as a goodie Never gift. Not everybody do that. is qualified 
to own a puppy. <laughs> what is wrong with you? But that that just goes to show you like the the length to which this character will go to be loved. Where she she's not thinking about making sense. She's not thinking about mm-hmm. things that work for everybody. This is just what would get me the most attention? What would get me the most affection? Or what she perceives to be affection, and that's what she runs with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not. Um, Roseburn just has a very uh, she has a drama face, which is not a bad thing. But she has like the face of somebody who who would do like serious dramas, and she often doesn't. I mean, she often does, but she also often doesn't. And this film, I think, was like one of the, the best examples of how much she can do, because yeah, you don't want to like her. But she's hilarious in her mm-hmm. in her own way. And um, you do end up envying, envying her because I want to just like randomly take my friends to Paris. I know. I would love to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, everybody. I'm bored. You want to go to Paris just for funsies? <laughs> like, sure. I want to be able to roll up to some fancy store and just be like, Hey, it's me. He's like, well, let us in on your off hours. I know we'd have an appointment. Yeah. And the person be like, oh, yes, of course, ma'am. <laughs> I know. I know. That would be nice. Yeah. 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 She's, I'll talk about Christian Wig because I, I think everybody in this is great. I really do. I don't think there's a bad performance in the whole movie. And I think Christian Wig, I, I just love Christian Wig. I think. She does comedy. She does impersonations. And of course she did Saturday Night Live. So she does. So she has that in her toolbox. But she also does these little things where she delivers lines in such a way like the whole I'm poor. Help me. I'm poor line or the whole part when Lillian tells her she's engaged and she's having this almost panic attack. <laughs> she's just like, what's happening to me? I don't understand what's happening to me. What is happening? And it's just the way she does it. it it's so funny and it's kind of uncomfortable and it's funny at the same time. And the whole opening scene, when there is the whole opening sex scene and just the way she does that is really funny. Just ev- she, everything she does is funny when it wants to be, even if it's something that maybe in other lesser hands would not be funny, but she also does drama really well. I mean, again, I've, I mentioned this film in our um, mental health episode, but I mean, again, shout out skeleton twins, because even though I think Bill Hader is the standout in that movie, she is so good. Oh my God. And that movie, that movie deserves so much more love because that movie is so good. And like I've said before, the most accurate trail of what it's like when you are feeling suicidal. So yeah. I want to shout out that movie again. Cause, and Bill Hader is just, he's so great in it. Oh my God. The I, I love just, their oh. team up. Yes. Love, they're so good they're together. together. They, yeah, they're so well matched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and the scene in skeleton, sorry, I know this is a tangent, but it's us, but we're talking about Kristen Wiig. So she's in, but the scene when they're singing, <laughs> He's gonna stop us now, and he's like, "Come on, sing with me, sing with me." She finally sings with him, or they're lip syncing it. Go yeah. find that on YouTube. I, I'll go find it while we're. I'll go try and find the link and put it here because in the comments, because it is one of the best scenes out there, and you can see how well they both do comedy and drama. And because once again, comedians deserve more credit because they can do drama really, really well, and comedy and is isn't it so funny? hard. 
And isn't it funny how often it's thought of the other way around? Yep. People assume that that dramatic actors are so much better, more competent, more skilled. But then if you have them attempt comedy, you find out that they're not maybe so well-rounded mm-hmm. in acting. Whereas with with comic actors, people think that, uh, you know, anybody can be funny. No. No, you may mm-hmm. be able to, to be funny with your friends. Maybe your friends think you're funny. <laughs> But get a, a camera in front of you and like a whole crew and try to say something in a very specific way that will make something funny. Mm-hmm. Something that can be flat if somebody else says it or something that can be like boring if somebody else says it. You get up there and you do the comedy. Not everybody can do it. But I think yeah. a lot of people can do drama. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's because with comedy, the big trick is to not try and be funny uh, because you try to be funny, nine times out of ten, you're going to not be funny. So I think that's a lot of why comedy is is so much harder. And that's why you'll find a lot of comedic actors when they take on drama are so brilliantly good. And, uh, you know, like Bill Hader in It and Bill Hader in that show Barry and lots of things. And, and Kristen Wiig in Skeleton Twins, because that role she's playing is not a comedic role. Uh, Rose Byrne in Away We Go, which if you haven't seen that movie, and I don't know if my mom's watching this or has watched any part of this, but this is a shout out to my mom because my this is one of my mom's favorite movies. And it's with her and John Krasinski. And they're traveling around visiting like different family members. And it's also got a great soundtrack that I know my mom is obsessed with. I don't know if she still is, but hi, mom, if you're watching this at all or if you're going to watch this. <laughs> So, but yeah, that's, that's a great movie. And she's just, Maya Rudolph is just, I'm going to just echo everything Carla said, because she is amazing. She's so, so great. Yeah. She's just, she's just fantastic. And I want to say, and this isn't necessarily the performance, but I want to say really quickly about the character of Rita, which we've already, you already talked about the performance, Carla, but I want to touch on her with what's so great about her and about this movie and that you see more and more now is women being so open and talking about how they need physical intimacy in their life. They need sex in their life. And that's a lot of why she wants to go to Vegas because she needs to have something that she can have a fantasy so she can still have sex with her husband. Right. And the fact that she just keeps saying, you know, balls. I want balls in my face. Balls. (laughs) It's just like, and it's like this thing where you don't really see women don't get to do a lot of that. Women don't get to do a lot of the sexual jokes. We don't get to be like, yeah, I don't want to have just, you know, making love. I want to have that, you know, intimate moment. I want to have that wham, bam, thank you, ma'am stuff that some women do want that. And some women yeah. just want a quickie and some women just want to get turned on and excited and don't necessarily need all that soft, slow music and stuff like that all the right. time. Yeah. So it's so no, nice it, to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, it's so fantastic because, you know, it, and I, I, I have, I didn't get a chance to go back and look at all of the, the movies that were really floating around. I just remember some of them, but I know that it's taken how many years of film history to acknowledge that women um, or that anybody who isn't a cisgender male has sexual Mm -hmm. desires and needs or that sometimes they don't at all and that all of that is fine that you know that to not have uh that to not 
desire sex and to not view sex as a need or must or want doesn't make anybody frigid. That's just how some people are built. Mm -hmm. Just as some people really, really just want to hit it and quit it. And that that's not an aberrant thing. It's, it doesn't make you a bad person. But we've kind of uh, been socialized to believe that these things are bad. And mm-hmm. that to be anything but, first of all, um, subservient to, to a cisgender man. Or to be a perfect, you know, housefrau makes you unlikable, unwantable, and somehow wrong, that those things are not real, that they're just, you know, we, we've had, we've been, we've been barraged with um, images of this is what women should be, and this is what they can be, and that's it. <laughs> and it's only been in the last couple decades, really, that that we've been seeing anything other than that. And that's one of the, this is, this is why I, I love this movie. It has its faults for sure, but it's also a reflection of the reality that there's more to being a woman than to be the sidekick or the perfectly groomed and, and perfectly put together woman. And that if that's not who you are, then you're just a side character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and it's showing every facet of being a woman, every facet of female friendship, every facet of that. So it's, it is one of the, you know, it's, I just, I just adore this movie. I could, I can watch just scenes from it. That's why I really wanted to cover it. And especially because, and we'll talk about it a little bit, because I want to talk about how this might've changed stuff because on our next, but our next podcast episode, and Carla will be on that one too. See, Carla's back to being my co-host. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about Thelma and Louise and how that movie came out and everybody was like, this is going to change the way women are in film. And it that didn't happen, of course. So <laughs> sadly, that did not happen. So we're going to talk about that because I think actually with this one, I think Bridesmaids did help a lot because you had a lot of movies come after this and still coming out where women are allowed to be this way or shown painted this way. And women have some comedy and fun. And some of them are horrible and not that great. Um, some of them I like, and Carla does or actually vice versa. Sorry. So, cause I was going back to that, like a boss. thing. <laughs> we get it, Aaron. You don't like, like a boss. <laughs> Man, <it's- laughs> but yeah, I think I, once again, the performances are great. So I want to talk about, the love story here because there is a love story in here. It's not the central focus as we've said before, but there is a love story um, with Annie. She does meet, um, sorry, why is his name escaping me? I'm looking at, oh, she meets Rhodes is all he's on her. Who's an officer who pulls her over one night because one of the other things that kind of characterized her, she's had her brake lights out for like, what did she say? It's like two years or something. Like that. Yeah. A very unsafe amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause she's, I mean, and she hasn't done anything about them, even though she knows they're out because sometimes you might not know they're out, but she knows and she meets him cause he's a cop and he pulls her over. So it's a meet cute. They do have a meet cute and they develop a friendship and of course a romance and stuff. And 
once again, it's a secondary side plot, but it is important to the movie and it's important to her character and her character growth as well. So what did you think of that love story and the character of Rhodes? Okay, so I love Chris O'Dowd. I love him. If you watch the IT crowd, that is a fantastic, hilarious show. <laughs> and you, you just can't go wrong watching it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I, I love Officer Rhodes. I think he's hilarious. He's genuinely trying to be a good guy. And he um, he falls for Annie not because she's, you know, she's hurt and she needs my protection. And, you know, th that's how a lot of really questionable relationships start out in, in film and TV. It's like, you know, the, oh, let me go help you and then maybe screw you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if it's convenient for the both of us. Yeah. Um, but there, there's like a giant eddy of not good about him towards the middle of the film where he is he's he's very excited about meeting the the maker of cake baby who and that and that's annie's business that that went under and uh, and also the cause of her boyfriend leaving um and it's great that he was a fan but then he gets really pushy about it and he says well but you bake so well i think that you should get back to baking and then he's like, look, I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to go there. And he's like, no, 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 but baking, baking, baking. And then they have a wonderful night together. She wakes up at his home and um, he takes her to the, to the kitchen. And it's like, look at all the baking stuff I bought. Bake something. Like, dude, chill. Clearly she's working through a lot of grief that she hasn't processed about losing her business. She has told you specifically, I don't want to talk about it. And here you are pushing it on her. And I think that, that, um, a lot of times there's uh, a misconception that uh, when that the best thing you can do for a person who is trying to process grief is to push them through it and that's not always true sure some people will will appreciate a kick in the butt and for some people that's what'll work and that's what what'll get them um through this process but for a lot of other people, that's not true. And who are you to say which way or, or what way works best for this particular person? It's not fair to dump your your concept of what progress in your personal life looks like on somebody who is still actively grieving. She's She has like a lot of, of things to work through. And no, she is not handling them well. She's not processing them perfectly. This is not a textbook perfect situation of how somebody can or should or whatever can handle grief, but it's the way she's doing it. And it's one thing to be there as a support and to be her shoulder to cry on. And yes, if you guys want to bone, then go ahead and bone, but don't push her when she, especially when she has clearly said, no, please don't. And and that's my, my big problem with, with Rhodes in every other way. He's, He's like the perfect um, rom-com dude, which this is not a rom-com, but you know, like th mm -hmm. this portion of it is, and it's lovely and cute and he's adorable and he has a little accent and <laughs> he's kind of like awkward in a cute way. And he will go and, and fight squirrels for a piece of cake that you baked for him. <laughs> and he will offer you carrots, which is a really healthy nighttime snack. Um, 
So he, he really cares about your 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 well-being. And he also hooked her up with a really sweet deal um, in getting her car fixed, which, you know, he, he didn't That's have true. to do. Yeah. That- so it, it's it's this thing where, like, where we're trying to position him as a protector and as a good mm-hmm. guy. But I think it, it, it's definitely taken a few steps too far. Um, and I don't. I mean, I can only imagine that this was uh, set up to be something that we appreciate. And like, look, he's such a good guy. He's trying to get her through this grief. He's trying to bully her through it. And that's not okay. And that's something that, that uh, like, it really bothered me. It really did. It didn't bother me enough for me to say, well, I don't like this guy. Let's drop him. Um, <laughs> simply because he, he really is a genuinely a good, good person. Not everybody is equipped to help people navigate grief. Like not everybody, is, you know, not everybody has training in that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's knowledgeable about that. So it's not like I'm like I'm faulting him for not being a perfect psychotherapist because that's not what he is. But just looking at it from, um, you know, as an observer, it it could have developed into a, a more toxic situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Bailey is asking a a good question because. You know, I think I think with his character doing that and buying that baked baking goods and all that stuff can be seen as something that's sweet and nice. And like, why don't you just take this? But I think people tend to do that a lot. People will do that when you're depressed. They'll be like, "Okay, let's just get up and go. Why don't you get up and take a walk? You'll be fine. Get up and move. That'll make you. And when sometimes really what a person needs is just for someone to listen to them and not give feedback and not go, I understand, or I've been there, or this is how I helped. Sometimes that's not what a person needs. They may just need to lie in bed and watch trashy movies. You know, they just may need that for the time being. They may need to listen to depressing music. And so I think sometimes people don't understand that you can't push people out of things. You can't push people to do what they should do. Like if, you know, as, as a writer and as someone who has struggled the past year with finding any any kind of inspiration or any way to write, you can't say someone, you know, just write. You can't do that. You know, you can offer helpful suggestions maybe, but you can't be like, if you just wrote, everything in your life would be good because you don't know right. that. Yeah, and it's to push him. But, um, but what Bailey was saying is, yes, he can be problematic, but what is the balance between a good character because he is a bit flawed and being a bad character? Yeah, and that's, that's a really mm-hmm. good question because that's where I think a lot of, and particularly in TV shows, because you have more time to be a bad character. That's true. You know, mm-hmm. In a TV show, you could spread that behavior out over several episodes over a season, and then you're clearly a toxic person. Um, when we're talking about uh, a lot of portrayals of how people get through depression on TV, most of them <laughs> involve pushing and most of them involve, you know, like um, these platitudes of, and just sitting down next to somebody with soft music and somebody <laughs> like, calmly holding your hand and saying, listen, yeah, listen, but yeah. really listen. <laughs> I am here for you and I don't want you to suffer anymore. And the only way for you to stop suffering 
Don't take your hand away. I'm trying to help you. I'm helping you. It's for you to get off this couch, turn off the TV, and face the world. And, bro, okay, look, what's going to help me right now is to sit in these nasty pajamas and finish this season of my show and finish this bottle of iced tea. Maybe tomorrow we can discuss other things. But, like, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, um, I, I'm sorry that I went on that ridiculous tangent, but no, that's no, that's very true. That's very, very true. But yeah, it, on TV, it it can become, it can come to seem more toxic. Uh, in a movie, they had less time to do that, and also because since the point of this movie is not this relationship, there mm-hmm. wasn't time to devote to him being pushy. Um, I don't think Annie had anything to apologize for when she ran out of there upset because she had reason to be upset i think he should have apologized to her which he kind of did in in a way um and and that was good but it's really it's, it's just really hard to see somebody on screen be treated that way because they're not dealing with depression in the way that you think is the mm-hmm. optimal way and frankly like and the sad reality is that there are a lot of therapists out there who also will treat you as if you're not dealing with depression the right way. And that's just really that is true. Yeah. But as far as what 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 makes the line is that his intent was not selfish. And also there wasn't enough time for it to be shoved in our faces to where we could be like, well, that's all he is. Mm-hmm. And also he had done so many other things that were more helpful and more uh, kind and nice for Annie that really kind of, it's like, okay, that was an ideal behavior, bro, but we can talk about it and you can grow from it. Mm-hmm. Well, and do you think this is a good, a good question um, from a single man tier is why do we even need the love story? Honestly, do you, do you think we need we don't. the love story? No. No, I, I can see why the writers thought that that we did. And it's because it's a movie with women. Therefore, it has <laughs> to have true. a love story. Yeah. But we we didn't explicitly need it. It could have been perfectly fine if, uh, if they had just been friends. If we're making a, a movie about cisgender, heterosexual, sexual women, and you really wanted to really push that, they could have made mm-hmm. Rhodes a female officer and they could have gone out drinking and Annie could have found solace in that new friendship. Um, or they could have kept it a male officer and they could have just yeah, been friends. Because yeah. like we've said before, we've had male friends yeah. in our life. No, so no, no. Could also t- I, yeah. Like I know and you know. But I know Hollywood, what you're saying. Yeah, that's Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Hollywood, Hollywood doesn't, doesn't believe it. really necessarily know that. <laughs> right. Hollywood doesn't believe that, that yeah. you know, penises <laughs> and vaginas can sit in the same room together and not join. You know, it's like, hmm. <laughs> but... Yeah, absolutely. We did not explicitly need the love story. We ended up getting it because that's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's all I can say about that. Yeah, I mean, I will say I I'm a, a sucker for love stories, and I really love I love this character. I love Rhodes, and I do see the problematic things. I don't think the movie sees the problematic elements in him at all i don't think right. they see anything that he does as problematic which just goes into playing into that thing of 
this is like you said in in TV shows, where they'll be like sitting there holding their hands, saying, "This is what you need to do to get better." <laughs> yeah, so that so I think it's just another thing of how Hollywood doesn't always know how to treat mental health in movies. Mm-hmm. And I would say there is a love story in this movie already. There's a platonic love story, the love story with Annie and Lillian. That is very much the front and center love story because these two have known each other since they were kids and they're basically family. And it's so the movie is so much a struggle of Annie worrying that she's losing her best friend because her best friend is going out and getting married to and and she feels that that means she will no longer have her in her life and then her best friend on top of that has a new friend Helen that is able to provide her all these things that Annie wishes she could provide but she doesn't have the money she doesn't have the resources and Helen seems prettier and more put together and she can provide her that trip to Paris which is something that they've always talked about really they've always dreamed about this kind of stuff and so Helen can provide that and she can't so I would say there that it is a love story already. I was fine with it being in there, but I totally, but the movie would have been fine without it. And I will say, honestly, when I first saw this, when you first meet the character Rhodes, I honestly thought, oh, maybe he's just going to be like a friend for her. And then, of course, I was like, oh, no, they're going to. Yeah. yeah. And I do think I, there's. I do think they're seen with the carrots when he when they find the misshapen carrot. He's like, you have to eat that one. <laughs> I love that scene. I think that's yeah. so cute. And the, when I, she has I, the I gun, the radar gun. Yes. It was hilarious. I absolutely <laughs> love that. And I also loved when she's, you know, performing all of these uh, automobile sto- stunts to get his attention later on. Like, that's, yeah. that's just plain out funny. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, if they could have just had that friendship that is a friendship rather instead of a love story mm-hmm. i would have liked it better personally and this is from somebody who still loves the romantic angle of it i i, I love Rhodes. i think he's great I, i'm not mad that they ended up together but if they had taken out that element and just made them buddies i would have been perfectly happy with that too mm-hmm yeah, yeah, very good, very good point. Because it's interesting because even though I see those problems with it, I've never analyzed the love story that much in this as far as like being problematic or being not needed. Because I do love their love story. I do, and I wanted her to be with him and I wanted her to be, you know, and I felt bad for him at times. And then I felt really bad for her because like I said, in the beginning, I really relate to her character a lot. So, so I know what it's like to have people and mom, if you are watching, this isn't direct towards you because I know she'll go, I'm sorry. No, it's not you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I have had people do that where it's very much, you know, or just take a vitamin and you'll be fine. Right. And I'm like, that's, it's it's a lot more complex yoga, than that. You don't and you're probably just dehydrated. Are you sad yeah. or dehydrated? Which one is it? Sometimes it's both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, just if you take a shower and clean up your room, you'll feel so much better. Um, I may not trip over stuff as much, but probably still be depressed. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's not exactly how this works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more complex than that. And I've been yeah. open on the podcast about my own mental illness. And and when you have like, because like I said, I have bipolar too. And the biggest, the biggest 
struggle with bipolar too is the depression because the depressions they'll come out of nowhere and sometimes they don't have anything to do with anything. I don't know why I'm depressed. I don't know why I feel like I can't move. I feel like I can't get out of bed. And in those instances, you can't come to me and say, okay, all you need is a vitamin because that's not true because it's literally a life threatening. My brain, my mind is literally trying to kill me. So it's not as simple as being like, I'm going to take a vitamin. I'm going to go for a walk and I'll feel better. There are certain things I know I can maybe try if I'm up to it, but it's not always going to work that way. So that's why you have to be, and I know it's hard. I, I know it's hard to be the person put in that position of watching someone you care about struggling through that. I'm not saying that I don't understand that, that it's, that's got to be very difficult to watch that and you feel helpless and I've got to be able to do something. But I wish in movies they would show it more. They would show the complexities of it. And I think there are only a handful of movies that have ever done that so well. And like with Kristen Wiig and, and Bill Hader and Skeleton Twins, which we mentioned mm-hmm. before, I think that movie actually handles it very well because it's a lot more realistic. And it also shows that when you are depressed, you will still have those moments like Bill Hader doing the lip syncing. You will still have those moments. You will still have these moments of feeling light and joy. And hey, Meg! Sorry, I just saw that Meg is here and I just got the biggest (laughs) smile on my face. I saw that smile and I hadn't looked over there and I went, I bet Meg's here. I kind (laughs) of (laughs) knew. That's my Meg is here smile. I was like, Meg's here. (laughs) Talk about platonic love story. Yep. Yep. I know, right? Meg and Carla, and Meg the up. ultimate platonic love story. <laughs> <laughs> Carla, forever. <laughs> okay, well, see, another tangent. Told you, when it's just Carla and me, it's going to be a lot of tangents. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get back into Bridesmaids here. And now that we've talked about the love story, I want to go back into the other love story, the main platonic love story with Lillian and Annie. And how this movie ends, which, sorry, Bailey. <laughs> Although, really, in this movie, I don't it's, think it's that bad to get spoiled about this movie. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the end, when Lillian gets married, the last thing Helen does <laughs> that almost drives Annie crazy. Although, Helen and Annie, I, you know what, actually, let's talk about that just really briefly before yeah. we get to that. The Helen and Annie relationship, because we haven't really talked about that completely. Because they are competing for Lillian's friendship throughout the whole movie. That's really what their whole dynamic is about. And Helen always seems to be winning in that. But in the end... Uh, Annie is the only one that can end up talking Lillian into going and getting married. She's the one who goes and has the final talk with her. And Helen knows that Annie will be able to find her because she goes to Annie for help to find Lillian. And it seems like they almost become friends and they have a nice little moment after the wedding. So I want to ask you, even though we've talked about how Helen's kind of the quote unquote villain, I don't really think of her that way, but she's the quote unquote villain in the movie. What are your thoughts with what they ended up doing with that relationship and with that friendship? I was really happy that they that that's how it went, because that's another trope in films about women is the the cattiness and that, you know, like the evil one is ends up in like a birdbath, just, you know, walking away going, oh, to some servant or whatever. Like, get that off of me, Jeffrey. I don't know. Um <laughs> It's like such a, a butler name. 
I'm sorry to anybody named Jeff. If there are any Jeffs watching or listening. I'm sorry that your name is a butler name. I didn't, I didn't, you know, take that up with your parents. It's not, that's not on me. But yeah, what I, what I liked is that it ends up with Helen really coming clean about her, her motivation and what it is that, that drives her to be this awful to, to Annie. And I think that that that's something that is not uncommon in friendships that start off when you are when you're older. And no, that's not true because even in friendships when you're younger, when you have a new person coming in and taking up the, the place where somebody who was embedded in your target's life was, and they are still trying to cling to that. And if you're a very insecure person, which Helen is, there is kind of this knee-jerk kind of, uh, I keep saying kind of, my goodness. There is this knee-jerk. We should put that in the bingo card too. I know, I, I almost says, said that. <laughs> um, there is this knee-jerk reaction of wanting to alienate that person. And if the person won't go willingly, then the next step is to force them out by making, by turning your target against them. Mm-hmm. And this is what Helen does because Helen, she knows that Annie is Lillian's bestie. They have had their own relationship, which is very, I, I think it seemed pretty solid because they have their own inside jokes and all of these things. But but Helen makes it very clear that she's marking her territory very early from like the, from the first moment that you meet Helen. She's very clearly like, this is my friend now. Go along and find yourself another one, you mm-hmm. peasant. Because I said because she's rich. <laughs> and she has butlers. So <laughs> um, so when you when you get to the scene where Helen and Annie are driving over to Annie to Lillian's apartment to get Lillian to her wedding. And Helen is just like, you know, she's having metaphorical barfs where she didn't have real barfs in the, <laughs> the bridesmaid dress place. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's getting this all off, of, all off of her chest because I think she realizes for one thing, Annie's not going anywhere. No matter what she tries to do, she's not going anywhere. And she realizes also that she would be failing her bestie by not bringing Annie to the rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really a concession that speaks to Helen's capacity for growth and for her heart not being as small as it seemed. Um, and there's also a lot of times when you can really feel for her uh, when, when they're at the tennis club and her stepkids come in and they're like really awful to her uh, because mm-hmm. she's trying too hard and they just don't care for her. Um, you don't really see her spouse all that much and she's they're telling yeah. you now, you know, he travels a lot. Like I barely see him. So she's very lonely. She feels very out of place. And she finally finds somebody with whom she can kind of let her hair down and will damn it. She won't let this other woman go. Like, what is the deal? I have all this money. Why aren't you my only friend? You know, why can't you just let go of everybody else and just we be besties? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very childish and it's very immature. But I think understandable in her case, 
Um, I don't think that I fully have forgiven her for the way she treated Annie because it was really awful. All of the the um, one-upmanship at the during the toast during the engagement oh party was <laughs> awful. It, it just I just constantly think about the moment where Annie takes a mic and she starts walking off, but then Helen comes in with a second oh, mic. I know, I know. She, <laughs> nope, that's not gonna work. <laughs> it's not done yet. It's not done yet. Um, the the, the the flight to Vegas where she gives her something supposedly to calm her down, but really to just mm -hmm. make her make a butt out of herself, which is the, the one time that I got mad at Lillian because it's not like, because Annie was, was, you know, on stuff. It's not like Annie was trying to make the plane get diverted to Wyoming yeah. of all places. <laughs> um, that's just how it worked out. And that wasn't strictly on Annie, but so yeah, I, I don't think that I necessarily forgive Helen, but I think it's a necessary concession that then Annie needs to make for Lillian, because this is somebody who's important to my bestie. Therefore, you know, it'll make my, my best friend's life easier if I just accept her and embrace her than if I try to compete with her at every turn. So yeah, I did like that that's how that turned out instead of Helen just being revealed to be a much more heinous person who should absolutely be shunned from the group. And I, I think that's one of the, the ways in which this movie is so much better than a lot of other movies where, um, where the main characters are, are women because of that, because it, it says we don't need for this to be contentious going forward. Everybody can be friends. Everybody can have a part in each other's happiness. There's no reason to to shut anybody out. So yeah, okay. So I said a lot, but there you go. But I love everything you said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And and I'm gonna say just as an aside, there's been a little um, conversation in the comments here about our name, <laughs> and it has been determined that our name is Erla. Erla. <laughs> <laughs> And Jesse said our episode can be called "My Name Is Erla" because for a Jesse had suggested Karen, and no, no, Karen. <laughs> but I don't know why we couldn't have had Carlin. Carlin, yes, Carlin. I think that might have actually been. I'm going to scroll back here because I think that might have been in one of the suggestions. I'm trying to think if that was. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, so thank you for naming us now. <laughs> Erla. <laughs> it, it just I'm sorry, but that sounds like we should be in overalls, like clean mucking out stalls. <laughs> and I don't do that. For the zombie horses. <laughs> we brought it back. I muck stalls for zombie horses. Take it back. We can be Erla. The I'm zombie okay horses that. and the zombie tigers. And the Erla zombie tigers, for, yeah. for life, huh? <laughs> yes. Zombie fauna, yes. Did you I'm wear sorry. your share of did you, Beck said that she's sure you wore your share, your share of overalls in the nineties. No. Is that true? No. <laughs> With only one strap buckled. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? How dare you? No. <laughs> so let's get back to bridesmaids. <laughs> I didn't really comment. I'm sorry. I didn't comment too much on um, the character, Helen. I do love that in the end, 
she's not a villain. And in the end, she's actually a good person who's just lonely and she just wants, you know, someone to love her and she wants some friendship. And I like that there is maybe the potential that Annie and Helen can become friends. But let's talk about the ending because in the ending, you know, when they have the wedding and Lillian gets married, at the end, Wilson Phillips comes out and they sing. And and you can see part of it in the credits too, which I actually wish we'd gotten more of that and not the sex scene, honestly. But <laughs> between Phyllis and Mark Carthy's character, I just really would have rather just seen the full on singing to the yeah. song. But what are your thoughts on the way the movie ended? Just that scene, just the whole Wilson Phillips scene, just because I like to geek out about that. I love it so much. I love that it has like so many fun references about things that happened in the movie. You have the the fact that Annie's gift at the bridal shower was this kind of like a memory box, which was very sweet. And um, Lillian really appreciated it and she really loved it. And one of the, the items was the Wilson Phillips CD, which was like a must have back when it came out because everybody <laughs> knew who Wilson Phillips was. I don't care what kind of mu- music mm-hmm. you like. You That's knew true. who Wilson Phillips was. And yep. don't lie about singing Wilson Phillips in the shower, in the car, humming it to yourself <laughs> softly while you're buying groceries. Everybody was doing it because they were just like amazing <laughs> in, mm-hmm. at the time. So it, it, it just, it's super cute. It's like a cute little mention like, oh, Wilson Phillips, our favorite band together. And we used to drive around and blah, blah, blah. Okay, cute. But then Helen, being the usurper that she is, she hires Wilson Phillips to perform at the wedding. <laughs> perform Hold On, which at this point, um, Annie was out of the picture. So Annie wasn't even supposed to be at the wedding. So this was just full on uh, stealing Annie's ideas in service of making Lillian happy and therefore love me even more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like at this point, you know, everybody had reconciled, everything was good. So they come out and then Annie throws this look at Helen. And Helen's like, this is the last time, I promise. Because she's acknowledging, okay, like, I get it. We've gone too far. But you, so you see that and then it kind of cuts away and then the, the music starts and credits are rolling. But then it pans back to the, to, the, to the scene. And it's my favorite part of the movie, maybe, where... Annie and Lillian are like dancing at each other, which is my favorite kind of dancing. Let's not dance together. Let's dance at each other. <laughs> yeah. And Lillian is doing like the the, the drumsticks, like, <laughs> like very like you know with the skank face. Like, <laughs> love it, love it, love it. And it, it just it's really a sweet moment because you see this this moment where the, their friendship, where you can see all of those years of friendship just kind of pop back up and they, they're in this little like bubble of their own having this good time together like doug the fiance whom we haven't even mentioned by name this entire episode he's oh, there that's too. true <laughs> yeah 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 like he's there too and yeah it's, he's there like they just got married and they did the, the whole post-marriage kissing thing but now it's just about annie and lillian and how they're having this very special moment with a piece of their of their shared history and then everybody's bopping along and it's really cute. And um, Lillian's dad is in the, is sitting in, in, in the, the pews going like, I'm not paying for that. <laughs> I love her dad. Yes. Like in, in the the engagement party when he, when he says, <laughs> I wish we just eloped so I wouldn't have to spend all this money and everybody laughs. And he's like, I'm not joking. Everybody laughs. I'm not joking. 
but so yeah it's it's a really fun funny and sweet combination of everything that the film has been trying to say about friendship and about their friendship in, in particular and I really appreciated it and it was really sweet and exactly like you said we didn't need the the sex tape scene between mm-hmm. Megan and her her boyfriend her boy toy especially because for me it just really seemed like yet another okay the fat girl's trying to be sexy thing and I'm like okay with the sandwich and of course that's yeah she's be sexy mm-hmm. right it, it was like that that was it kind of stole a little bit of the joy to be frank for me from that finale so I just want to in, in my mind I cut it off at that point and I mm-hmm. ignore that because everything else was just beautiful about that end yeah I agree I agree yeah and and like I said in the beginning, I cry at the end of this movie. <laughs> I cry with that scene because there is, because of course, music, as everyone knows, means so much to me. And so when you have a scene where you are sharing a song, even if it's a cheesy song, whatever, as Carla said, you did listen to Wilson Phillips or you knew who they were, at least. You remember their videos and all that stuff. And the way they do that scene is so great and wonderful because you know, there's so much going on underneath that where it's like, this is this big memory that they share and they love. And they, this has been a song that's meant so much to them and it's so funny. And you know, I'm sure some of that was improvised because we haven't talked about that. Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig are so good together. They have such great chemistry and you can tell that there's an actual true genuine friendship there in real life because of the way they work off of each other. It's so beautiful. So Paul Thomas Anderson, I know you are going to eventually write that for your wife. You're going to write Maya Rudolph and then your wife and then Tiffany Haddish, but also throw some Kristen Wiig in there, you know, do just all women. Come on, you can do it. You're, you're, you're the best writer out there right now. Uh (laughs) Yeah, that's right. PTA get down to it. Make Aaron happy. Yes. And he used to work on Saturday Night Live. That's so, you know, he does co- he does comedy and he loves music. So anyway, I sorry, tangent again there. I want us just in end our talk about bridesmaids that we've only been talking about bridesmaids. Uh and ask, we talked about it a little bit already, but what do you think this what do you think the film's impact has been on comedy and especially female-centered comedies? It didn't create the explosive effect that I I would have loved to have seen. But it did pave the way for, I think, a lot more movies in general about women that aren't strictly centered around their quest for for a man. After this, we, we had, I think, quite a few female, female-led comedies. We also had that, that huge debate, not really debate, but just like a lot of, of hurt bros whining women are funny though why are oh, we yeah. trying mm-hmm. to make women happen women aren't a thing and it's like not only are women a thing women are also funny <laughs> and i'm sorry that you're not that funny and you're just trying to you know ruin it for everybody else but i i also think that that a part of why the ghostbusters movie that melissa mccarthy was in wasn't more successful is because of that backlash after bridesmaids because mm-hmm. you, you you finally started to see people taking women as a comedic force seriously and trying to develop to develop more projects around them and starring women and and everything 
but there was so much backlash and there was so much, you know, if we start treating them seriously, then everybody will start treating them seriously. And then what about me? What about my career? There, there are plenty of movies for you, Dean Cook, you know, like Dane Cook. There's plenty like, of material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that's how much I value him now. Although I, was, I, I will admit to being a huge fan of his at the beginning. But, but that, that's where... And I don't even know that he was specifically part of that whole thing. It's just like the first comedian <laughs> who became an actor that popped into my head. So I'm sorry if I'm disparaging Dane Cook and he didn't deserve it in this regard. But but yeah, so there was just so much hatred towards um, comedic actresses and towards women who are comedians that that, I think, kind of negated a bit of the impact. And that's why I think that there wasn't more of an impact just because of the of the pushback and because the vast majority of the people running hollywood are men mm-hmm. and what they listen to is what they think might tip more money out of their pockets than than otherwise and it's very easy for them to be in this little echo chamber where they're all like no no women bad <laughs> stinky women stinky you know, they have, women they have comedy <laughs> cooties <laughs> So it, it's it's sad and it's part of the struggle that we're still in. Not to mention the fact that that this movie, yeah, Maya Rudolph was in it, but other than her, I mean, she she was like what the one person of color in the primary cast. Mm-hmm. And then we have the whole idea of like, okay, but there weren't even dark skinned black women there. So, so there's still, at that point, still like a lot of a struggle to have underrepresented populations in these big, not temple, but these big, whatever, big movies with lots of money behind them and whatever. There's also now, I think, more of a willingness to even entertain the idea of having, of having trans women in mm-hmm. film, which I think is great because we need to see all women represented in film and not just the idealized version of this is what a woman is. This is what a woman looks like. They're not all thin and blonde, like Kristen Wiig. If they dare to not be blonde, they're not all, they don't all look like Rose Byrne. Mm-hmm. So I, I think like some steps were made. The only reason that there weren't more was because of the, of the backlash. We still have a long way to go. But I still think that without bridesmaids, we may be even further back. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And and then I want to go back to a comment that Bex made. This is what we've kind of been talking about. You know, we're funny. We we like to talk about sex and poop and all that gross stuff. You know, I don't necessarily like talking about poop, but but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I yeah, I think. And with the Ghostbusters thing. I'm one of the few people that I actually liked the Ghostbusters movie. I know a lot of people didn't like it. I thought it was good. And what I appreciated about that, that they also did a twist on is I think the Chris Hemsworth character in there is so funny. And it was nice to see a male character in a movie being filling that quote unquote bimbo role. Cause that's really what he's kind of feeling. Filling is the stupid you know, woman 
you know, that kind of thing. So I thought that was good. And I just thought everybody's chemistry was really good. No, it's not as great as the original. And I'm excited about the next one that's coming out. And we are going to do a Ghostbusters episode once the ne- the new Ghostbusters movie comes out, just to let you know, Meg's going to be on that one, along with a bunch of people, but just to let you know. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it did open some doors for some things. And I did do think it did more than, say, when we talk about Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise was supposed to open more doors and it didn't. And I think this one did. And I don't know if it's because it was made in 2011 as opposed to the 90s, but it did break down a lot more doors and it did open a lot more doors. I think, I think, you know, um, yes, you still need more representation, but I think it at least helped things get moving a little bit. Um, You did have movies like girls trip, which I don't, are you, do you like that movie, Carla? Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And of course we have like a boss, which is, <laughs> which only half of Erla likes. <laughs> only half of Erla. Oh my God, Erla. I'm gonna, it's going to take me a little bit to get used to that. <laughs> I love you all for coming up with that, but it's going to take me a minute. <laughs> same. It just some roll of the tongue. Like Erla. Not the same like Carla. Carla. Right. Really Carla like just, oh. <laughs> but it is better than Karen would have been. No. How dare you even have thought it? <laughs> yeah, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do think it helped a little bit. I think it actually did more than Velma, like I said, than Velma and Louise did. I think it did more than a lot of other movies did. I think uh, that's why you got a lot of the Melissa McCarthy movies that you did. Like, I don't think we would have had Spy, which once again, go watch Spy if we hadn't had this movie. Um, I don't think we would have necessarily even had Girls Trip if we hadn't had this movie. I don't think we would have had Like a Boss. I just keep bringing it up. even though <laughs> Just to torture me. <laughs> if we hadn't had this. I don't think, I think this even helped people who weren't even in the movie. Like I, um, and I'm not saying like this is necessarily connected, but I think Tiffany Haddish, I think this even kind of helped her come along. I think that that kind of stuff. So I think once people saw that women can be funny and we've always been funny and women can do humor, that's not just the romantic comedy humor. We can do other humor as well. Uh, We can have movies that are just about female friendships that don't have to have the love story, even though this one does have a love story, but we can do those as well. Uh, I think it did, did help that. I I'm a pessimist though. And I think there is such a long way to go. There are so many other barriers. I've talked about it before. How I think horror still has a lot of barriers there. I think there are still a lot of people that don't think women like horror movies that right. women don't yeah. like to be scared when actually when they do a lot of those studies, a lot of times the audience for horror is more women than it is men. Yeah. So <laughs> most of the horror fans that I know are women and yet Mm -hmm. this refusal to to believe well there's just a refusal to believe anything women say really exactly especially when we're speaking about ourselves it's like no no no. this is what i like i'll tell you what you like i just i just said that i know what i like you know yeah i know yeah yeah it is and shout out to jesse is just seriously if you have a podcast if you're an indie podcaster and you're not following sudden, but what is it sudden? But what is it? Because he keeps changing. At, on Twitter, it's at sudden, but 
Okay, it is that sudden, but still. But if you're yeah. not following them there, if you're not following Jesse, I mean, Jesse is just one of the best supporters. He can't hear us right now, he said, but he's still leaving the stream on for support. So he's just amazing. So if you get Jesse, you have to get Jesse in your corner. You have to yeah. reach out to him and support him too. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to give Wonderful. him a shout out because he's such a lovely person. And yeah. I mean, like everybody who has been in our on our comments, our comments, like this is my podcast. <laughs> your comments. Well, in you which I'm participating as, as the panelist. <laughs> um, everybody in the comments is so wonderful. But speaking specifically about support from within the Potter family, mm-hmm. Jesse is one of the most supportive, wonderful people you will meet in podcasting. It's very, very true. Because I want to say, you know, being an independent podcaster and being out there, because there's so many podcasts, as everybody knows, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and trying to get a foot in the door is very hard, and it's a struggle all the time, and so you really have to have that support, I think, of other podcasters as far as, like, getting through it and being like, okay, I may not have the listener numbers that I want for this episode, or why is this episode failing, or why, you know, because I still struggle with that. I'll look at stuff like, our This Is Us episode, I thought that was going to be a big hit. And that's one of our least popular ones this year. And I was surprised at how popular some have been, like our, you know, uh, American Psycho episode, which I was happy because it proves, once again, that women like those kind of movies. Right. And they also just love Christian Bale. So (laughs) that's really what it is. I mean, come on. (laughs) Sorry, throwing that Christian Bale mention in there again. But no, it's it can be hard. It can be very uh, hard to keep going sometimes because you're like, oh, I'm not this big success. But I think the community is so good. There's so many good people in the indie podcast community that it can feel like a warm <laughs> hug in a way. So yeah, so just shout out for that because I just wanted to point that out because I just think that's pretty awesome. Thank you everyone so much for watching and commenting, even if you watched for just a little bit and then left it. I really appreciate it. I'm kind of addicted to doing these now. So (laughs) remember, we're going to do one of these once a week. This was just a spur of the moment thing, just going, okay, it's just Carla and I, let's just do another one. So Carla, where can they find your podcast? They can find Meg's. Yes, mine and Meg's. I'm not leaving Meg behind. Carla, five life. (laughs) Um, You can find Bedwet or Behead Pod on any of the of your favorite podcast suppliers, pushers, dealers, um, you can find. <laughs> I like that <laughs> your podcast dealer <laughs> under the monkey bars behind the abandoned school, <laughs> and you can find our Twitter at bedwetbeheadpod. You can find our Instagram at bed.wet.behead.pod, and look for us on Facebook, bedwetbehead. Bed, wet, or behead podcast. Awesome. And before I do where you can find us, I want to just say we were nominated for best TV film podcast for quite the thing media awards. So I'm going to put this banner up there. So you have like 27 days, but don't let it get to the 27th day. (laughs) (laughs) So go vote for us. Um, This will be in the show notes as well. I'm just putting it up here on the live stream with this is the link to go to. I will put it. So, yeah. So just please go vote for us. It's an honor to be nominated. And I know that sounds like, you know, cheese ball, but it really is. I really it really means a lot because like I said, 
this can be a very lonely venture being a podcaster. And I have amazing people that help me. And I have amazing people that are on like Carla and Meg and MJ and um, Sasha since they at Aaron and Aaron does like, once again, Aaron a does so dang much for this podcast. So I'm shouting you out again, Aaron. I don't know if you're still watching, but I'm shouting you out again. So really it can be very lonely, but so when you have this, when you have this happen and I didn't know about it and Carla told me, I was like, oh, wait, I am. <laughs> Carla told me last night, but please go to that link and vote for us under film and TV and vote for other podcasts. You can only vote for once from your, they're tracking the IP addresses. So you can't, you know, spam them, which is good. But remember that's for like the next 27 days, but I just really would, I really just want to say thank you again. And I really appreciate it. And it's pretty darn cool. And you can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. I mainly use that account to stalk Carla and see if she's tweeting about <laughs> Queer as Folk, which the last week she has not tweeted at all about Queer as Folk. And I knew something was missing from my week. And that was what was missing from my week was were, listening to her. The, the Brian slander. I, well, I wasn't missing that. I was missing <laughs> trying to ignore the Brian slander. <laughs> but I was missing the queer spoke tweets because, yeah, I do stalk Carlos' profile for those. <laughs> healthy stalking, people. It's healthy, healthy stalking, yes. It's healthy stalking. Yes. It's because she's watching my all-time favorite show, and I and she's in my favorite season, and season four. So I'm just excited about that. <laughs> I'm excited. It's to she, snarkery. It's all the yeah. same. And I'm excited to watch as she falls in love with Brian during one of his upcoming storylines. So I, I know that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I just know it. <laughs> I think, you know, setting your expectations a little lower might be good for the health. <laughs> she will like him. She will tolerate him. <laughs> He's not completely bad. Okay, well, you can follow the show. Uh, be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter. Once again, that's at a fandom thing at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. Follow our YouTube station channel station. <laughs> <laughs> I want to call it station. Follow our YouTube channel because once again, we're going to be doing this every month. Uh, if you want to be a potential guest on the show, please reach out to us at it's a fan of the pod at gmail.com. We have a guest that's going to be coming up in July. I, uh, it hasn't been solidified yet, so I'm not going to give you the whole things yet, but coming up in July, we have a great guest that reached out to us after our um, toxicity between fandom and celebrity episode came out. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then I'm hoping we're going to be working on for pride month, getting an episode together with some local drag Queens. So that'll be a lot of fun. And that's what I'm hoping that'll be. Is it a live stream? So that will be a blast. Um, other things that I have in the pipeline that I want to work, but I haven't reached out to the people yet. So I'm not going to put it there yet, but it'll be a lot of fun. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. 
Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos, and our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz. And I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.